Rupert Murdoch's New York Post has endorsed Donald Trump in the state's primaries. The Post editors said they came to their decision after much careful thought and after sleeping beside a mysterious watermelon-shaped plant that opened to release spores that sucked out all their vital fluids and then replicated their bodies with bodies that endorsed Donald Trump. In the endorsement editorial, the Post editors noted that Trump's proposals to pull troops out of Japan and South Korea are terrible ideas, that his anti-trade proposals would lead to poorer American products and more expensive goods, that building a wall on the Mexican border was simplistic, and that Trump's language has been, quote, amateurish and divisive and downright coarse. When asked why they endorsed Trump anyway, the editors replied, we're not actually sure, ask the watermelon-shaped plant. The Post editorial did say that, quote, should he win the nomination, we expect Trump to pivot, not just on the issues, but in his manner. The Post believes Trump will no longer be the sort of man who intimidated tenants to try to get them out of one of his buildings, who attempted to use eminent domain to steal an old woman's house, who kept black people away from the gaming tables of one of his mafia buddies at his casino, and who bragged about cheating on his wife with the wives of other men. Instead, the Post feels that after winning the nomination, Trump will pivot to become a different person, possibly Winston Churchill, or the character Tom Hanks played in Big. Anyway, someone nice, and then we'd all see why the Post endorsed him, and we'd be sorry for what we'd said about them. Trump, said the Post endorsement, is, quote, a doer. If you have a good-looking wife, he'll do her, and if you have an attractive daughter, he'll do her as well. The Post went on to say that Donald Trump, quote, reflects the best of New York values. This was an obvious slap at Ted Cruz, who had foolishly used the phrase New York values to mean politically left-wing and culturally amoral, when everyone knows it means provincially arrogant, corrupt, and mindlessly aggressive. The Post concluded its editorial by saying this. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Ah, a little invasion of the body snatching humor to take us out of the Clavenless, the Clavenless weekend with its with its earthquakes and governments falling and profits dropping and all that. And now we're moving into an, a period of darkness. But we'll get to that. But first, a jolly word from our sponsor. The American presidency is the most powerful office in the world, but it isn't a monarchy. So many current candidates view the presidency as the accumulation of all three powers, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. But that is not how the framers designed it. You can learn about the separation of powers and how to restore constitutional restraints by taking the free Hillsdale College course, The Presidency and the Constitution. You can sign up for it at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. You get it for free at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. Every week in your inbox, you will get a new lesson from Hillsdale's professors. You will learn how the Constitution protects us from would-be dictators, we hope. Okay, let's look at, we're looking at, I just threw in that we hope is a little, uh, speaking of hope, we are, and this is for those of us who believe that Donald Trump is a bad hat. See, the thing is, I keep saying this, I'm not, my problem with Donald Trump is not that he says this and I believe that, although he is a left winger and his, his instincts and his history and his, many of his policies. My problem is that he's a bad guy. He is a unprincipled, boorish, cruel, bullying, corrupt guy. But other than that, I love him, you know. So for those of us who think that he would be a dangerous, uh, you know, he would be dangerous to our republic in the Oval Office, we are entering two weeks 
of darkness. We're going into the maelstrom, okay? We've got New York primaries tomorrow, and then a week from that, we have Connecticut and Pennsylvania and Delaware, all these East Coast primaries that Trump, I think, is going to win big. And I mean, look, it's possible he'll be held under 50% in New York, which would be a major victory. You know, Cruz is smart enough to know that it's not, he doesn't need to win 50% of the state. Trump has to win 50% of each district, and then you get all the delegates in that district. So it's very complicated, like all these things. But it's going to be, it's going to be bad, and I just want to, want to talk about this. If, if you think Trump is dangerous, as I do, it's, it's not going to be pleasant. And the thing is, in screenwriting, which I've done a lot of in my life, this is what they call the all-is-lost moment, okay? This is the moment in every movie, there's an all-is-lost moment. If you're writing a, scre a screenplay, it usually comes around page 75. It's very, they're very technical and specific about how to do this. And the all-is-lost moment is the moment when, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi gets killed, you know? It's the moment when, like, Bruce Willis is, is in Die Hard and he calls the cop outside and says, I'm having a bad feeling about this. I don't think I'm going to make it, you know? And it's the moment when, when it really seems like the hero is going to die. And sometimes he does die, okay? Sometimes it's a sad movie. And I'm not saying that just because this is the all is lost moment that it's going to have a happy ending. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that in that moment, certain things take place. Ted Cruz is playing a very, very smart game. Cruz is out there you know, getting the delegates he needs, working on committees, figuring, figuring out what it's going to take to stop Trump, to stop him from getting the majority and then take this nomination at the convention. Now, of course, Trump is, hasn't got the discipline or the money because Trump is not a really liquid. He doesn't have a lot of dough. A lot of his assessment of how many billions and billions of dollars he has, just the value of, of being Donald Trump. He'll say, it's just the value of my name is worth billions of dollars. It's true of my name too, by the way. You know, it's like, as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm worth billions of dollars too. Just in pure virtue, I'm, my virtue is worth billions of dollars. So, so Trump doesn't have a lot of dough. He's running a very cheap campaign, just flying around, making big speeches at big rallies, getting a lot of free TV time and all this. And Cruz is playing a smarter game. He's on the ground. But, but this is the moment when people are going to lose their nerve. When people start to win, when a candidate starts to win, whether he's a good candidate or not, whether you agree with him, suddenly he starts to look a lot better. You start to think like, well, maybe, maybe he's not so bad. You know, would, would a little fascism really be so bad? And I mean, you know, losing the republic—it's been around for hundreds of years. Maybe it's time to get. You know, I mean, it, it's just when you go into this place, people start to be convinced. And you started to see it last week, the New York Post endorsing him. Why would they endorse a you know constitutional scholar who believes in the Constitution, a Harvard-trained lawyer? You know, why when you can endorse Donald Trump, a guy that the Post, whose corruption the Post has been covering since I lived there back in the 80s. I mean, they, they've been covering this guy forever, and yet they're going to endorse him because he's going to pivot. He's suddenly going to become another guy. The Wall Street Journal, also owned by Rupert Murdoch, you know, ran a Trump editorial, obviously not written by Trump because it was in English with grammar and periods and commas and all that kind of thing. So obviously it wasn't written by him, but it was this kind of editorial talking about, oh, how bad the system is. And this is Trump's new thing, and we'll get to that in a second. And you started to see, and I think Megyn Kelly also was trying to make peace and because Fox News is also owned by Rupert Murdoch. So I guess we can sort of guess that Rupert may be, you know, coming around, sort of seeing the, the light, the Trump light. And I think a lot of people are going to be seeing the Trump light, and a lot of people are also going to be falling for Trump's new strategy, which is 
basically, this system is rigged. You're stealing my nomination. You're stealing the people's votes with this horrible, horrible Republican nominating system. And you better be careful. See, he's doing just what the Democrats do, because he is a Democrat. Democrats call for unity whenever Democrats think that they can win. Suddenly, it's really important that we be unified. If unified means Democrat victory, if not, if unification doesn't mean a Democrat victory, then protest and causing trouble are patriotic. And so what Donald Trump is now saying is we have to unify, but if we don't unify behind me, there's going to be a riot. And the way he is ginning all this up is he's telling people they're being robbed. NBC Today put together a montage of Trump saying how rigged the system is. Here's, it's very brief. This is a crooked system, folks. And it's not fair. And it's not fair to you people. It's a rigged, disgusting, dirty system. The Republican National Committee, they should be ashamed of themselves for allowing this kind of crap to happen. So, so this, by the way, I think this is a, a brilliant strategy. This is basically Trump's appeal. You know, you've been cheated, I will fix. What was, what was only I can solve? Wasn't that his tweet? <laughs> only, only I can solve. You've been cheated at the wall, you know, at the border. You've been cheated when American jobs left. You've been cheated by China. Only I can solve. And now you're even being cheated out of this. While Trump was, is making this appeal, Sneaky Ted Cruz went off to Wyoming and got another 14 delegates at their convention because they have a double system where first you have to win the primary, which Cruz did by a huge margin. He got like 70% of the vote in Wyoming. And then they had a convention, and you get more, so he got nine delegates for that, and then he went out and got another dele, couple of delegates by making a speech while you know, Trump was, wasn't even paying attention. But Trump's thing is he, is he is going to cause a riot if he doesn't get this. That's basically what he's saying. Cruz answered this. You know, Hannity, who has been, I think, very, very pro-Trump, overly overboard in the tank for, for Trump, he had Cruz on and he started asking the questions, you know, well, shouldn't we do this and shouldn't we change the rules? And Cruz had this response. So, so I'll make a, a, a radical proposition. Okay. Um, I believe in the Constitution. I don't think that's radical. The Constitution gives this authority to the states. That's the way right. it's been the entire history of the country. Right. And, and, and I got to say, it ain't rocket science. If anyone is running an effective and competent presidential campaign, they ought to be able to figure out how to actually go and win an election. So that makes sense to me, but, you know, I kind of like Cruz, so maybe he sounds a little bit more sensible. Reince Priebus also said, he said basically the same thing, you play, play his response. I'm not quite sure what the rhetoric is all about, but the, but the truth is, is that these plans have been in place since October of last year. It was the same system that elected Abraham Lincoln. It's pretty much the same system that the Democrats use. Delegates and voters choose the nominee. That's what's happening. And quite frankly, um, the, the, the complaining that, I, that goes on is something that I think probably distracts from what we really need to do, which is to come together as Republicans. And I know it's hard because we still have a contest, but, you know, I think it gets distracting and it really isn't something that most people really give a darn about. So, always harsh language from Reince Priebus, the <laughs> head of the RNC. He always really shows, he's such a dynamic personality. He always really blows those interviews out of the water. So, we're going into this period when it's going to seem like Trump has got it all sewn up, even though Cruz is working diligently behind the scenes to make sure that the way the system works, works in his favor. 
During this time, as I say, suddenly your friends are going to turn to you and say, well, I don't see what's so bad about you. And you are going to start to think, you yourself are going to start to think, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should avoid trouble. You get the battered wife syndrome. You know, maybe I'll just keep my voice down and we don't want to riot. And, you know, he's, he, that's what he's doing. He's threatening you. He's threatening you with violence if, you, if he doesn't win, if he's not competent enough to work the system that has been in place since the 1800s. If he's not, you know, if he, if that system has taken him by surprise, has sprung out of him, you know, out of the centuries and sprung out at him, then somehow it's your it's the system's fault and it's all rigged and it's all corrupt and you've been stolen and he's going to fix it. You may start to think like that, but let me just make a couple of points, a couple of points of why you should not despair, why this is not, it, this all is lost moment, why all may not be lost in this all is lost moment. Trump is such a dramatic candidate and such a media-savvy candidate, and the media loves him so much, not as it affect, in terms of affection, but in terms of the fact that he's good copy, he's fun to watch, he's entertaining, and he's some, not something we've seen before. He's distracted us from the fact that the very same thing that's happening on the Republican side is happening on the Democrat side with one small difference, one large difference. The same division is going on. Bernie Sanders, they have a candidate, in the lead who everybody hates, that Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders is making mincemeat out of her. He is, you know, some, somewhere between 15 and 27,000 people showed up at this uh, Washington Square Park, which is right near NYU, so probably a lot of university students pile up, cheering and cheering for them, and the rhetoric against Hillary became intense. So as bad, play this guy, this doctor, Paul Song, was up there kind of ginning up the crowd for Bernie, speaking for Bernie. This is, this is what he said about Hillary Clinton. Now, Secretary Clinton has said Medicare for all will never happen. Well, I agree with Secretary Clinton that Medicare for all will never happen if we have a president who never aspires for something greater than the status quo. Medicare for all will never happen if we continue to elect corporate Democratic whores who are beholden to Big Pharma and the private insurance industry instead of us. Corporate Democratic whores. Corporate Democratic whores, he says. Now, Song apologized and so did Bernie Sanders. But, but that doesn't mean that the people out there didn't agree with him. It doesn't mean that the blood isn't already in the water. Let's pause here for just a second for a word from our other sponsor, the folks at Reagan.com. And they are dedicated to protecting your privacy, to keeping corporations out of your email, to keeping the government from collecting information from your email. This is happening all over. It's happening all the time. But you can guard your privacy by getting an email address at Reagan.com. It'll be your name at Reagan.com, unless your name happens to be something different than your name. If it happens to be John Smith, it'll be John Smith at Reagan.com. And you will get to proudly share President Reagan's name with every email you send. And at the same time, you'll know that your emails will not be scanned or shared with third parties. So how do you do it? You go to ReaganPrivacy.com and sign on for your own secure, personal, private email address. You get two months free if you do it right now at ReaganPrivacy.com. Okay, so the guy gets up and calls, essentially calls Hillary Clinton a, a Democrat corporate whore. The, the, he apologizes, but... 
But as Hillary Clinton's motorcade is going, this is unbelievable, as her motorcade is going to a fundraiser, Sanders supporters line up and throw dollar bills at her. They're throwing dollar bills at the car as it goes by. Well, this shocks MSNBC. Joanne Reed is with the Washington Post reporter Abby Phillip, and the two of them are just appalled that this could go on at a, you know, shocked, shocked to find this going on at a Democrat primary. Play their exchange. People throwing dollar bills as if in a strip club. Um, this coming on the heels of a Bernie Sanders surrogate having to apologize for using the term democratic whores uh, at the Washington Square Park rally. That visual there um, of throwing dollar bills at a woman as she's going by in her motorcade. Yeah. Has the Democratic race gone over the edge? It's really striking. Um, and I don't know what it is exactly that has caused this. Maybe it's because we're here in New York. The, the media situation here is really intense. There's a sort of tabloid culture of it all. But I think it's also that Sanders' supporters are coming to realize that this process is going to come to an end. See, she can't figure out what it is. I'll tell you what it is. It's that Sanders should win. Sanders has could possibly win. But... But unlike the Republican Party, the Democrat Party is not Democratic. The Democrat Party has this superdelegate system where the machine locks it up. They know Bernie Sanders can't win the general. I, I don't think he can win the general. And they want to keep this guy, this radical socialist from the 1930s, this guy selling a, you know, a 19th century philosophy to solve our 21st century problems. They don't want him in. So the Democrat Party is making sure the bosses, the establishment, the machine is going to shut him down. And guess what? There, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the thing that Trump is complaining about. Trump is a populist. Trump is saying, you, the people have been cheated. The people should decide. The people. And you're going to be shocked to hear me say this, but we don't live in a democracy. We don't live in a place where the people decide. The founders were terrified of the people because they know the people get swept away with bad ideas. The people can at times become a mob and they get swept away with bad ideas. So they created a system where there was a a buffer between the people and power. It's not supposed to be a wall. It's supposed to be a translation. The, the leaders are supposed to translate what we want and need into something that makes sense. So nobody, nobody on the Democrat side is really complaining that Sanders is being cheated out of the nomination, though, in fact, if you look at it in purely Democratic terms, he probably is. He may well be being cheated out of it. But nobody's complaining about that because they understand that the system is meant to be a break between the populace and, and power. There is supposed to be a break. Otherwise, you wind up living in California where everybody votes for everything to pay for everything, but no, they don't vote for new taxes. So nothing gets paid for and we're constantly in terrible, terrible debt. But take... If you want to see how people get swept away with bad ideas, let's talk about money for a minute, okay? Last week I made a couple of people angry by talking about Jesus and sex. But the funny thing is, is no matter how many times people revert to talking about sex when they talk about religion, Jesus mentioned money a lot more than he mentioned sex, a lot more, maybe 10, 20 times more than he mentioned sex. He talks about money, and you can always tell by the way people react to money if something has gone terribly, terribly wrong with the, their ideas. The Democrats are all ginned up about this idea of money in politics, okay? The Democrats are, they hate uh, Citizens United. My pal Dave Bossie goes out and makes a movie. They try to keep the movie off TV. They do keep the movie. It's an anti-Clinton, anti-Hillary movie. They keep it off television. The Supreme Court says, no, the guy has got to be able to speak his mind. But because Dave has a company called Citizens United, he's now a corporation. So it's the evil corporations are allowed to spend all this money. But take a look at, take a look at money at the demonization of money. I mean, I mean, this this week, 
uh, last week, George Clooney, the actor, right? He, he had a fundraiser, over 30,000 bucks a plate, right? And then he comes out and says, oh, it's obscene. It's obscene. I raised so much money. That's obscene how much money I raised. Sir Bernie's right. It's right. He's right. Let me, could you, that's $35,000 for those peas, please. You know, it's like absolute, absolutely incoherent. It's incoherent. Why? Because what, what's the problem with money? What is the problem with money in politics? First of all, it doesn't dominate politics. If it did, Jeb Bush would be the nominee on the Republican side. You know, I mean, you can spend all the money in the world. If people don't vote for you, you're not getting anything, okay? What is the alternative? Money is just a symbol for value. Money, you give me money for an iPhone because you think my iPhone is valuable to you. You think it's valuable to the tune of whatever it costs. People are spending their money, small people are spending small amounts of money, big people are spending big amounts of money to get the candidate they want. What other system is there? Well, obviously the only other system is for the government to control the election. What could possibly go wrong with the government controlling the election of the government? What could possibly go wrong if the government gets to say who gets to run, who gets to speak, how much money they get to spend? You know, what? this is exactly what happened when Dan Rather got caught lying and, and started to say, well, you know what we need? We need government-funded media. Yeah, we need a government-funded media covering the government. That'll, that'll be much more honest, you know? I mean, when, when the old media started to get challenged by new media, they start, all of a sudden the left started to say, well, we need, we need more government funding for news. We need, because that will be honest. Why would, the, why would the government do anything to stop reporters from covering the government? So now they want government-funded elections. And the head of the uh, DNC was on TV saying, yes, only the Democrats are wise and, you know, uh, wise enough to realize that the government has to fund this stuff. On the other side, on the other side, when you talk about money, we have Donald Trump, who's the same person as Bernie Sanders, by the way. There's no, there's no difference between them. He, he, what Trump says is, if you don't have enough money, you're a loser. If you didn't make as much money as he did, you're a loser. If you don't get as, as many women, you're a loser. If, you, if, you got, if you're uh, John McCain and you got shot down, well, I don't like my heroes who get caught. I want my heroes who don't get put in prison. You know, I don't like my gods who get crucified. I like gods who don't get crucified. You know, it's like this, this, win, this winner mentality that you, the only way to win in life is to be some kind of mogul. The only way to win in life is to have the uh, uh, you know, approbation of the crowd. It's this... It's materialism. It's materialism on both sides. It's people demonizing money and people deifying money. Both of these are bad ideas. See, this is, this is what's happening. You know, there was a wonderful article uh, this week in the Weekend Wall Street Journal by a guy named Yuval Levin, and we're going to have him on the show. They just wrote to me and said he would come on the show. He was talking about the fact that Donald Trump, and I've said this before, you've heard it here first, Donald Trump is the end of something, not the beginning of something. Donald Trump is the end of the old Republican Party, not the, not the beginning of a new Republican Party. And this is true of both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders as well. They're the end of the Democrats. We are entering the future, and our two parties have got to change. Which one of us, which one of us is the party of the future. Well, think about this. Think about what the Democrats are talking about, socialism. They're talking about socialism. And even Hillary Clinton is just talking about modified socialism, this 19th century idea that has failed everywhere and they got nothing. There's an editorial. The editorial in the New York Times today is about who should be able to use girls' bathrooms. You know, can you put on a skirt and declare you're a girl and use the bathroom? That's what they're talking about. That's what they think is going to solve the problem of of jobs and, and poverty around the world and the differences between nations. That, you know, who can use a bathroom? That's not a problem. It's not an issue. I mean, you can be on either side of that and still be talking about absolutely nothing. They have no ideas. The right, the right is talking about something new. They're talking about 
localization. They're talking about decentralization. They're talking about deregulation. They're talking about solving problems on the local level, which is the wave of the future. It, there will, it's a new kind of federalism that is going to come down the pike. It's going to need bigger brains and more uh, you know, uh, academically-minded brains than me to figure it out, but it will be there. So in screenwriting, the all-is-lost moment, I got out one of my old screenwriting guides, and I looked up the all-is-lost moment, and it says the all-is-lost moment clears the way for the fusion of thesis, what was, and antithesis, the upside-down version of what was, to become synthesis, a new world, a new life. The all-is-lost moment, listen, all may be lost. All may be lost. I don't know what's going to happen any more than anybody else does, but... But don't despair, because I think in the, for the future, maybe not in the media, we're going to have to go through a maelstrom. I know we are. But when we come out of it, it is the right that is planted to own the future, because we are the only ones with new ideas. We're the only ones who have new ideas. I have to stop here for a minute, because I want to talk about something else, you know, that as we see uh, the old ideas collapsing, we see a lot of uh, websites, political websites are collapsing. Most of these websites are collapsing on the left, uh, BuzzFeed and... Um, who else? BuzzFeed, HuffPo, the Gawker, Salon, Vice, they're all struggling. But some of the sites that were built to support the right are also having problems. I think Glenn Beck's The Blaze has been laying people off. And last week they announced that PJTV is going to stop making videos. And I just had to talk about that for a minute because the reason I'm here is because of PJTV. I, the one thing I never wanted in life was to be in front of a camera. <laughs> I never actually wanted, I'm, I may be alone in America, I may be the last person in America who actually didn't want me to be the representative of what I do. I wanted people to buy my books, I wanted them to read my articles, but I never cared if they knew anything about me or recognized me or knew, even, I wasn't even that worried about their knowing my name, though I wanted my name on my books. But, Many years ago, maybe eight years ago or so, I bumped into an old pal of mine, Roger Simon, who was a fellow crime writer and screenwriter, and he kept saying, you know, I'm building this thing called PJTV, and you should come by and see it because you could probably be on. And I thought, ah, you know, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to be on TV. And PJTV was one of the first video outlets. It was basically an online TV station for the center-right, for right-wingers. And so one day, because Roger's a pal, I turned on PJTV, and there was Bill Whittle, who I'd never heard of or seen before. And I just thought, this is a guy, and if he ever finds out I said this about him, he will become in, even more intolerable than he already is. I said, there is a guy with network-level talent. You know, Bill Whittle is a guy who really should be on a network, on network TV. And I thought, I suddenly realized that if you built an outlet for right-wingers, all these blacklisted right-wingers would come out of the closet, and there were probably people of real talent and intelligence out there who had never been seen before, and that struck me as worthwhile. So I looked at Bill's thing, and Bill kind of reminded me of a sort of Edward R. Murrow type, very serious, very buttoned down. I thought, you know, if I did it, it would be a lot less like Edward R. Murrow and a lot more like Monty Python, you know. So I went to Roger Simon and I said, how would you feel about somebody doing the Monty Python version of the news? And he said, yeah, go ahead. You know, they were experimenting with anything. And so I started making my Clavin on the Culture videos, which I did for several years. And it was just, I have to tell you, it was absolute bliss. The people in that place for the first couple of years, Bill, Steve Crowder, Alfonso, Rachel, really talented, crazy people, people who really should be locked up and kept off the streets, but at the same time are genuine talents and voices who have many of them gone on to other things. I was working with Owen Brennan. He was the producer who served the, he served the purpose of keeping the management off me because the management was always <laughs> getting angry at me as they do, as they do wherever I go. And he would keep the management off me. He 
wouldn't tell me about the two-page emails they were writing him complaining about me. And, uh, and Justin Folk, who was the artist who did the Clavin on the Culture backgrounds, uh, both Justin and Owen went on with um, Robert uh, Perkins to form Madison McQueen, which is now a production company that's doing a lot of Ted Cruz's ads. So it was really, really a talented bunch. And unfortunately, uh, monetizing video on the internet is one of the hardest things to do, and PJTV never figured it out. They never figured out that the internet was not brick-and-mortar stuff, you know, that, like, they would, they would yell at me when I would, say, promote another website because it was like, you know, Macy's sending you to Gimbal's, as the old saying goes. <clears throat> but in fact, of course, when you do that, they link to you and you get more eyeballs, and if you get eyeballs, it's easier to monetize. But they never... They, they never crossed that Rubicon. They never crossed the Rubicon. And so finally, they had to close. Uh, PJ Media, which is one of the terrific center-right uh, blog sites, it's got Victor Davis Hansen, Andy McCarthy, me. Uh, it's got a, like, a lot of really good writers. That's going to continue. But PJ TV is gone, and I just wanted to say uh, salute it and say well done. All right. Stuff I Like. Now, this week, Stuff I Like is going to be now playing Stuff I Like. Oh, and before I get to Stuff I Like, let me plug also, go on City Journal, uh, Google City Journal, or go to city-journal, city-journal.org, and you can read my article called The Silent Nasty, which has been getting a lot of play. It's been getting uh, tweeted all over the place. The Silent Nasty, which is about who's to blame for the nasty rhetoric in our political life. I think it's a really interesting article. I think you'll like it. The Silent Nasty at City Journal. Okay, Stuff I Like is now playing as stuff that is actually out there, either in theaters or on TV or in the bookstores. It's a little different because usually I like to talk about classic stuff that maybe you missed or semi-classic stuff. But I wanted to talk about stuff that's actually out there. This weekend, I did something I never do. I asked my wife which movie she'd like to see. It's always a mistake. <laughs> I never do it. We, we, you know, my wife and I rarely go to the movies together because I like things with a lot of violence, a lot of harshness, a lot of toughness in them. And she likes those art house movies that just make me want to take a screwdriver and, like, take my eyes out with you know, I was like, good movie. What, I'd be improved if I drove a screwdriver through my forehead and died. You know? But she, she loves those things. So she watches those separately. I go to the movies by myself. But we wanted to go together, and I said, all right, you choose the movie. And she said, The Jungle Book. And I thought, should I kill her? Because I, <laughs> I don't want to go see The Jungle Book. I have to tell you, this is a terrific movie. It's, it, it's, it really is. It's for the entire family. It is hilariously funny. It's got a great cast. It's perfectly cast. Little boy, Neil Sethi, who must be working entirely on it with a green screen. So he's really doing a brilliant job. Idris Elba plays the tiger, Sher Khan. This is based on the Rudyard Kipling stories. Idris Elba, one of, like, just one of Britain's gift gifts to uh, show business. Bill Murray plays the bear, Baloo. Scarlett Johansson plays Ka, the, the snake, the seductive snake. And, uh, it, and Christopher Walken, is the, he's the best thing in it. He plays the big, the big gorilla, you know, who sings uh, I Want to Be Like You. It is just so beautiful and so well done. In fact, we have, we have like a short scene. This is Scarlett Johansson's scene where she tries to get the kid as, as the snake Ka. Who's out there? Hi. I'm not gonna hurt you. I was just passing through. I don't want any trouble. Are you? 
I'm waiting for a friend. He should be here soon. I can stay with him. Would that be all? I'll keep you safe. Just you and me, sweet thing. Who are you? Well, there are worse ways to die than having Scarlett Johansson wrap herself around you, but <laughs> squeeze you to death. But anyway, terrific picture. The Jungle Book, it's doing really well, and it should. All right, into the maelstrom we go. Uh, the Tomorrow is the New York primary. We'll be back. This is Andrew Claven with The Andrew Claven Show. Come back again tomorrow.